Welcome to the podcast for We Hope Glasgow. We're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this message from Sunday. May it be a blessing to you today. Hey, how's it going? I um, hope you're having a good morning. Um, if you are new in the hood, my name is Crooksy. I am the family's pastor here at uh, Reho. Brian is at our Belfast campus uh, today, so I have got a chance uh, to speak to you this morning. And what I want to speak to you about is how sometimes we do things that are weird, especially when we pray. We've got these weird things that we do. For example, when do you ever feel the need to say each and every one of us in any other context other than praying out loud? It's just weird. You don't need both. Each of us is fine. Every one of us is fine. But when you pray on both, you need both. Oh, yeah, for real. And what about those like crutch words that we use when we pray to give us a little pause and to think of what comes next? If you had a penny, just a penny, for any time anybody said the word just in a prayer out loud, you would be so rich. So rich, just as a classic, so is Lord or repeating another one of God's names or titles. And we do it all the time. And if you spoke to a human like that, uh, it would be weird. Like if I went home to my wife and was like, yes, Jamie, I just ask you, Jamie, I just wonder, Jamie, if you would just like me to put the kettle on, Jamie, and I just ask you, would you just like a cup of tea? And she's going to say, you are being weird. <laughs> Stop that. It is weird. Uh, my favorite little weird thing that we do when we pray, though, is the prayer tut. Do you know the prayer tut? Where, like any other time in life, whenever you tut, you mean you're a moron. <laughs> but whenever people are praying out loud, we tut, and that means amen. And we agree with it. What is up with that? That's the opposite of what a tut does. But when we pray the prayer tut, it's a thing. It's weird. And I guess there's nothing wrong with those things. They're things we've just picked up off each other. It's not like anybody like, sat the rest of us down and we're like, right, you guys, we're going to tut, but we're going to do a good tut. It'll be weird at the start, but people will pick it up. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. It's just things that we've picked up off each other. And although there are nothing wrong with any of these things, there are probably more helpful things that we can pick up off each other to help us to go deeper in prayer. So we're going to talk today and think about how we can go deeper in prayer and specifically thinking about how to pray. And we're going to be thinking about how to pray in terms of skill acquisition and applying like a normal way that we learn to our prayers. And we're going to be thinking about how to use the Bible's uh, structures and content to inform the structure and content of our prayers. That's where we're going today, just so you know. Um, something I like about this church is that there are so many people with such a wide range of backgrounds. Some of us have like grown up in church, some of us uh, haven't, and, and that's cool. And we can learn things from each other. And church backgrounds vary completely. And we can learn things from each other. But depending on your starting out point, then you will have uh, different starting out points with, with prayer. And that got me thinking to kind of my entry point for learning how to pray, which was when my mum prayed with uh, my sister and I before bedtime whenever we were little kids. And that got me round to thinking about how there is a bit of a correlation between language skill acquisition and prayer skill acquisition. And I know there's a lot more to praying than like literacy. But uh, there's a correlation, and I think it can be helpful to think in these terms. So when a baby is born, you talk to it. 
And you talk to it and you talk to it and the baby will take that in and it will receive the language. It'll be listening and taking it in, even from like when it's a baby. And when it grows up a little, then it'll try and imitate what you're doing, like first through noise making and then maybe by like chaining a couple of noises together into that classic like mama dada phase. And then it'll go a little step further and using like monosyllabic words of its own, probably no or probably why, but then it'll have like polysyllabic words and eventually build through into broken sentences. And whenever its skills in language are more developed, then it will be able to use um, full sentences. So first you've got the receiving period, like reception skills, listening and taking things in. Then you've got an imitation phase where you're just trying to do the things and copy the things that you've taken in. And then finally, you've got a production stage where like the baby's able to like speak for itself or in our case, we're able to pray prayers for ourselves. That's the kind of skill acquisition pathway that I am thinking can be helpful for us as we pray. It works for prayer, I think. And I think that because it definitely like looks very familiar to how I learned to pray. Uh, my mum like prayed with my older sister and I um, every night before we went to sleep, and she always finished the prayers in the same way. She said, uh, bless Granny and Granda Crooks, Granny and Granda Miller, who are my grandparents, Nana and Papa, Mum and Dad and Rosie, and all our uncles and aunties and cousins and friends, and bless me, amen. That was the way the prayers ended every night. And I heard that so often, I received it, and I internalized it, that whenever I got a little bit older, I was able to pray, like, just the ending of the prayer for myself, and I was able to repeat it. That's the imitation phase, and I, and I would pray that. And as a kid, I went through the reception phase and then into uh, the imitation phase, and as I got older, then I was able to pray prayers for myself. That, uh, that skill progression pathway kind of works for, for prayers. It works for kids, but it also works for adults, and it works for adult learners at every stage. And I think it's helpful for us um, in this season of growing in prayer to consider ourselves as adult learners, because no matter what stage you're at, there's always going to be a step further you can go and a step deeper you can go. And considering yourself as an adult learner is a great place uh, to find yourself. If you are at a point where you're taking your first steps into prayer. Like if you're new uh, to uh, Jesus and church and praying and all of that stuff, if you're new in the game, can I recommend pre-service prayer? Here's why. Whenever we meet to pray, we do it like an hour before each of our gatherings. We meet in the balcony and the elders guide us through praying for um, a bunch, a bunch of stuff. And they break it down into like two or three or maybe even five minute chunks and guide us through what to pray for. They encourage us to stand up. They encourage us to pray out loud and boldly. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, you're saying my first step should be to stand up in front of everybody and pray out loud and boldly. Uh, I don't think so. Remember, what is the first step in this skill acquisition pathway? It's reception. Come to pre-service prayer and just listen to the prayers that are going on around you. And you can find yourself agreeing in your heart with the prayers that you hear and standing in agreement to prayers, whether verbally or in your heart, God sees that and he answers those prayers and that counts. That can be your first step and it's a good 
first step to take. And as you're here more and more, and you're hearing the prayers more and more, then you might be able to hear somebody praying for something and think, okay, cool, um, God, I, I heard them pray for that, and I want to pray for that too. I think that's a good one. Can you answer that one? And then that can be you moving into like an imitation phase, or maybe you just want to listen to what they said. You've heard it, and then you're like repeating it, like just word for word, imitating those prayers to help you to grow. And eventually, if you're here like again, 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 and you build up your skills, you will be able to follow the elders' cues so that you can pray your own prayers and move into that production stage. If you are taking your first steps into prayer, pre-service prayer is one of the best places that you can go. If you are a little bit further down the line and your skills are more developed, you can still use this skill acquisition pathway. Because think about it, just because you have learned to speak doesn't mean that you stop listening. You still use all those skills, right? And I still use my reception skills, imitation skills, and production skills at pre-service prayer. But I mostly do that, like, actually after the, like, the praying out loud bit is done, and whenever then we move into small groups and we feed back to each other what uh, God has drawn us to pray for. And I stand up there every week. And I've deliberately chosen to stand up there because I have identified um, Ruth and Brian as two people out of the many people that I could look up to in the area of prayer in this church. And I stand near them so that I can hear what they've been praying about. And if there's something that comes up and I hear what they've been praying about, I just tuck that away. And quite often things that they've prayed about in the morning, will, I will maybe center my prayers at the evening gathering around those things. So I've received it, I've heard what they've been praying for, then I'm imitating it at the evening gathering. And as I take in more and more and more from those dudes, then that will influence how I produce my prayers for myself. And I'll be able to pray about things that are maybe like pushing my boundaries for what I pray for. That's why I stand there. It's good. Pre-service prayer is a great place to be for you to acquire your skills if you're taking your first steps. But it's also a great place to be if you want to develop and refine your skills in prayers. This is a great place for you to be. Can I recommend pre-service prayer? And we had a bunch of dudes here this morning, um, enough that would make many other churches so jealous. And if you do regularly attend pre-service prayer, then great. If that's not part of your practice right now, why not challenge yourself and make it part of your practice? It is a great place to be, to, to acquire, develop, and refine your skills. Here's the thing, though, that I've been thinking about. I always stand there, and I could probably talk you around the balcony and tell you who stands where. And we do like be creatures of habit and we stand in the same place. And that means I'm always hearing from like those people who are up, up there. And it's good to learn from them, but it gives me a particularly narrow data sample, right? And I think that there are a bunch of people that I could look up to in the area of prayer. And I would like to hear about what God has drawn them to pray for. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to mix it up. And if you come to pre-service prayer, and I hope you do, why not mix it up and stand around different people so that you can learn from them and you can teach them. And maybe you're thinking, I don't think that I would be able to teach anybody about prayer for anything. I don't think I could do that. 
Well, to you, I'm going to say, I don't believe you. And here's why. God is drawing you to pray for those things. So you need to back yourself because he is with you. And if you're saying that you have nothing to teach anybody, that means that you're minimizing the impact that God is having through drawing you to pray for certain things. Pre-service prayer breaks down if we just like stick to our own little zones and we get a narrow data sample. It breaks down if we minimize the impact we can have in other people's lives. So we want to maximize the impact that we can have in other people's lives by mixing up and by praying out loud and boldly. There are many, many good reasons that we pray out loud and boldly. And one of them is so that the people around you can hear you, and that is good because you can help teach them to maybe acquire for the first time or maybe develop and refine their prayer skills. Think of the benefit that you could have to the community just by praying out loud and boldly. Can I recommend that you do that for the sake of the community is good, is really good. Pre-service prayer is a great place for us to be to develop and refine our prayer skills or to pick them up for the first time. But it's not the only place that we can go because in the Bible, we have got a collection of written prayers um, that we can learn from. We've also got the account that we can read in Luke's gospel of whenever Jesus' disciples came to him and said, how come you've never taught us to pray? Because John's disciples, uh, like John taught them to pray, and can you teach us to pray? And then Jesus does. He gives them a lesson on prayer. So that seems like, I mean, the place to go to learn how to pray. So we're going to read an account uh, from Matthew. Actually, Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bible with you today, go ahead and turn up Matthew chapter 6. If you don't, that's chill. The words will also be on the screen as I read. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to read through to verse 13. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by people. And I assure you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Cool. Jesus gives them a lesson on prayer. And this lesson comes in two parts. The first bit is how not to pray, and the second bit is how to pray. And Jesus warns his disciples using pretty strong sentiments against uh, being proud and self-seeking when they pray. And this makes sense, right? Because God says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves. 
pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And the being humble part of that instruction and that promise by God comes at the start because the being humble part influences everything that comes after it in that promise. The warning that Jesus gives his disciples seems to be against praying in public. And there are specific instructions about praying in private and shutting the door and all that stuff. But all I have talked about so far is praying at church and praying in private and praying in a group setting. And I've been talking about how good that is. So what gives? Thing is, Jesus prays in public all of the time, all the time. And his disciples and his apostles see him do that and they pick that up from him. And then they pray in public all the time. Jesus mentions the synagogue and the street corners and the synagogue like is going to be the appropriate place for public prayer in uh, that time and in that context and in that culture. Jesus doesn't have a problem with you praying in church. He doesn't have a problem with you praying in public. He doesn't have a problem with you praying for other people or with other people. He does have a major problem with pride and he gives his disciples specific instructions to help them avoid falling into the traps that the dudes he's talking about have fallen into. And he recommends a similar practice as to what we find Daniel doing in Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 which says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel's location, his attitude, and his posture are all in contrast to the people that Jesus is talking about at the start of his lesson on prayer. They are in public, they are proud and arrogant, and they are standing and they're doing everything so that the people will notice. Daniel is in private. He's humbled and he's kneeling. Everything is in contrast. There is a place for praying in public and with a group. We see Jesus doing that a lot. We also see him getting away from everyone and getting away from everything to pray on his own. And we need to have that balance in our prayer times. But no matter where we are or no matter with whom we are praying, we need to stay humble. And the key to that, I think, is recognizing who we are before God, who he is and who we are in relation to him. Like he is God in heaven above. And we should be humbled before him, we should. And we should plead to him to bring his attention to us like we're shown in Psalm 130. What we want to do is avoid praying in a way that is attention grabbing and for the benefit of the people around us. We want God to be paying attention to us, not people. So like the psalmist does, like praying and asking God to pay attention to you is a good thing to do. We don't need to earn his attention or buy his attention with long rambling or even long eloquent prayers. We don't need to do that. God is God in heaven above. He's also our Father in heaven above, and He sees us, He loves us, He cares about us. And like Stuart was chatting about last week, it really doesn't take an awful lot to convince a God who is characterized by love to do good things for His children. You don't need the big prayers, it's chill. So that's cool. Um, having a balance when we pray is good. 
and having a balance where it is and with whom is good. And permeating all of that should be this humble attitude. And it's important, just as God sets out in his promise in Second Chronicles, at the start of it comes the humility piece in Jesus' lesson on prayer. The getting our posture and our attitude right, the humility piece comes first in Jesus' lesson. That's of prime importance. But then Jesus goes on to talk to his disciples about methodology and how to pray. And the Lord's Prayer is classic. Some Bible translators call it a model prayer. We mostly refer to it as the Lord's Prayer, but I'm going to talk to you today about how it, uh, a good name for it would be a prayer framework. So it's classic though, right? It's up there with one of the most memorized and repeated scriptures. But remember, Jesus isn't teaching his disciples what to pray. He's not saying pray this. He is teaching them how to pray. He's saying pray like this. So memorizing scripture is good. If you haven't memorized uh, this model prayer, do it. Memorizing it is good because the Lord prayer is like classic example of reception, imitation, and then production. Like you hear the Lord's prayer so often that you take it in. And you probably haven't memorized already. If you don't, I mean, that's fine, but many of us will. And then you're able to repeat it word for word as a prayer. But that's where so many of us stop. And that's not why Jesus gave us this prayer framework. He didn't teach us what to pray. He wants us to take it further into that production stage by building upon this framework so that we can pray prayers with this structure for ourselves. That's what he's going for. So we might as well look at the structure since that's kind of the point. And the prayer is wonderfully complex whenever you analyze it, but for the sake of keeping things simple for this framework, it has three main sections. It's got stuff about God, it's got stuff about people, and then it's got why should God answer these prayers. And if you take the bit at the start of his lesson, it's got getting our hearts right before God, then stuff about God, then stuff about people, then why should God answer those prayers? And if that structure sounds familiar to you, then I am glad because there is a reason why we do pre-service prayer the way that we do. We start with getting our hearts right with God, then we pray stuff about God, then we ask him for help, stuff about people, uh, help for the gathering, help for um, the city and our nation, and then we finish with why should God answer these prayers? And we do that because we are following Jesus' instruction and example for how to structure a prayer time from this passage. That's why we do that, just so you know. The structure, though, is good. It's simple, but it's profound. Uh, Let's look at each section real quickly. The first one says, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus starts by praising God for who he is. He identifies him as our Father in heaven. You may have other reasons for for praising God. I imagine that you might. There are many of them. Um, But Jesus says, our Father in heaven. And then he talks about things and prays for things that we want for God because God is deserving of them. God's name is deserving of being honored as holy. God deserves his kingdom to come. God deserves his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's what Jesus asks for. Focusing on God first shows that he has the rightful place in our hearts and helps us cultivate and maintain that humble attitude when we pray. It's really good to focus on God first. 
And after focusing on God, Jesus moves on to the stuff about people, um, which says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This section is all about the stuff that we need. It's a place where you might find a little bit more like confession and repentance prayers, um, but it's where we ask for the things that we need right now. But if you look closely at what Jesus is asking for, the things that he asks for feed into what he was praying for for God. For example, if you want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then there is a part that you need to play in that. You need to do the will. And if you want to do the will, then you're going to need to have your physical needs met, like praying for the bread bit. Um, Although you can pray for other physical needs, of course. But you also need to make sure that your heart is in line with God's heart and the things that you want are the things that he wants and your will is his will. So getting your heart right with God is good in that time. The things that Jesus teaches his disciples to ask for feed into the things that we want to see for God. And we can build upon that framework and we can adapt it and change it um, for whatever needs we have. For example, I was praying for Brian uh, this morning when he was teaching in Belfast. And I was praying that God would um, awaken and enlighten our campus in Belfast to the realities of uh, spiritual warfare. That's what he's talking about this week. That's what I want God to do. And God deserves for people to be more in step with him. And as we know the realities of spiritual warfare, then we're going to be more in step with with God's will. Um, It's good. What are the physical needs that Brian needs in order to do that? Well, Brian doesn't travel really well. So that's what I was praying for. And I was also um, praying for uh, physical needs like uh, attention, Uh, to be paid to him and for like his natural charisma and his natural ability to explain things clearly, to shine through. But those things are feeding into what I want the goal to be for God to awaken and enlighten our campus in Belfast to the realities, uh, further to the realities of spiritual warfare. See how what I prayed for, the physical needs and the things for the people fed in to the first bit that I was praying for. That's what Jesus teaches us to do. So that's what I was aiming for. Um, First God, then people, and for God to intervene in our lives. And then finally, Jesus finishes by chatting about and praying about why God should answer the prayers. He says, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And he is identifying God as king and therefore ruling. And then God decides what goes on, so he's able to answer the prayers. He identifies God as powerful and able to answer the prayers. And then he identifies that God should get the glory forever. And getting the, by getting the glory, I mean that we identify that God did it and not us. So we are thankful to him and we give him the credit and we see a pattern of how God answers the prayers. We testify about it and we say, I prayed this and God answered. And then people will be like, Woof, that's amazing. And give God glory, be thankful, all that good stuff. And something that I am really looking forward to, some of the fruit of this season that I'm really looking forward to, which I think we're starting to see already, is for our share times to just blow up. I'm really looking forward to that. As we're tracking what God is doing and as we see him answering our prayers, we're giving him glory by telling other people, this is what God did for me, is incredible. Yes, he is.
That's what we're going for. Cool. So those are three simple yet profound sections and uh, a framework and a structure for us to follow in our prayers, to build upon it, adapt upon it, personalize it, all that sort of stuff so that we can produce our own prayers, move through the bit where we just like regurgitate the Lord's Prayer into building prayers of our own. And if this chat is new to you, that's fine. Um, It was also new to the disciples that day. But if you look through the scriptures, you can see examples of when the structure was followed and you can see a bunch of them. For example, Nehemiah's prayer in Nehemiah chapter one. I'm not gonna read this, but bang. It's the same structure. He starts with, here's stuff about God. Here's what I want you to do and intervene for the people, God. And here's why you should answer these prayers. Or Solomon's dedication of the temple, which is a very long example, but bang, it's the same structure. Stuff about God. Can you do this for your people? Here's why you should answer these prayers. This structure is adhered to a bunch in the Bible. And it's good that we use the Bible to inform the structure of our prayers, but that's not all that we can use the Bible for. Using the Bible to inform the content of our prayers is also really good. And the Psalms are particularly helpful for this. I pray the Psalms a bunch. Uh, I especially go to Psalm 103. I love it. Um, I just love it. I mean, uh, like, Look at it up on the screen. My soul praise Yahweh and all that is within me praise his holy name. And then just like a bunch of reasons why you could praise him. And I have memorized Psalm 103 um, among a couple of other ones and I can just regurgitate them. I've received it, I've read it, I've memorized it and then I can repeat it, I can imitate it. But whenever we were chatting, uh, Ruth and Brian and Josh and I and planning this series, Brian was talking about using the Psalms not as our prayers like I do, but to inform our prayers. And that kind of was an identifier of where I was at in that uh, skill acquisition pathway. I was stuck in the imitation phase. And it was probably time that I moved on to produce prayers um, of my own that stand in alignment with the Psalms. And uh, it was probably about time that I did that. So I did that. And you could do things really simply like for Psalm 103, my soul praise Yahweh and all that is within me praise his holy name. My soul praise the Lord and do not forget all his benefits and then you list a bunch of the things that God has done for you in your life and you're able to take that psalm and personalize it and adapt it to inform the content of your prayers. You can use its structure and you can use its flow and you can use its content to have a prayer built of your own that is in alignment with the Psalms, and that's good. So how are you going to get there? If you're still in that reception stage, my recommendation to you would be to read the Psalms a bunch. And then you'll be able to highlight which ones are your favorites, like I did. And then your next step might be to memorize some of them. And some of them are really short and really memorizable. Um, And you can do that. And then you can pray them as your prayers. And once you get more used to that, you can move on to using uh, them to produce your own prayers. Here's what I've done. Um, I get my book, my little journal, and I get my Bible and I get my psalm, and I'll read through a psalm so that I've got like that moment of like taking it in and receiving it. Then I'll read the psalm as a prayer, and I've got a moment of like imitation, and then I'm just going to start making notes of ways I can tweak this and ways that I can uh, personalize it, I guess, so that It's my prayer 
based on that psalm, and then I'm going to pray it. Having a notebook and a pen there is, uh, is pretty, pretty helpful. You can use the Bible to instruct not just the structure of your prayers, but also your prayers content. Um, using simple steps, taking one step forward at a time, depending on where you are on your journey to learning how to pray. Because we want for you dudes to establish and strengthen regular, healthy prayer lifestyles. Where you've got a balance between praying in private and praying in public and praying with people and praying on your own and a balanced structure to your prayers where you're not just praying like, can you please do this? Can you please do this? Can you please do this? Where you're also praising God and why would God answer these prayers? And we don't want you to as well just praise God and then never ask for anything because God is there um, to help you and we need his help. So it's good to do that. But having that balance is really, really, really helpful. And knowing where you're at on that journey, like on that skill acquisition pathway, is really helpful to knowing what your next steps will be. Identifying where you're at is, is really important. Let me just finish off by giving you a quick example of a time whenever I did that. In 2006, I did uh, this missions team in Ireland. And at the start of it, we did a discipleship program, which is designed to help you to believe that you're a child of God and then to act like it. And it started off by giving some identifiers of this is what a child of God does. And this is what someone who maybe is a child of God, but who's acting like an orphan, there's what they do. And I was reading down that orphan list. And I mean, I had already given my life to Jesus. I was a child of God, but I was acting like an orphan. And one of them that really sucker punched me was that orphans tend to pray in groups when they pray, but rarely on their own. And that was exactly where I was at. And it just called me out. And to tell you the truth, like that's an identifier of where I was at. It was important for me to move on, but it kind of like bummed me out. I didn't want to be there. And it kind of brought some realities home. It wasn't the most pleasant moment. And I remember thinking at the time, I will never be able to move forward and go deeper in prayer. I'll never be able to have that intimacy with God. That is a total lie. But the problem is I believed that lie and it held me back for years. And the reality is that God has given you everything that you need and ample opportunities to grow in your skills in prayer and to cultivate a balanced, healthy prayer lifestyle. The truth is that you have everything that you need. I believed a lie that I couldn't do it. It held me back for years. And it was lousy because I mistook a humble place for a defeated place. And I just like couldn't bring myself to even attempt because I felt like I'd already lost. I believed the lie. And if you're here today and you're being like, everything that you're talking about kind of makes sense and breaking it down into little pieces like try this first and then do that next and then do this to, f- to finish off or whatever. That sounds like bite-sized and manageable, but I won't be able to do this. You don't know my deal. It's like, well, yeah, okay, I might not know the immediate circumstances of all of you guys, but I know what God can do for you because I've seen him do it for me. And I believe now, I believe the truth that God has given you everything that you need so that you can go deeper and closer to him in prayer. So don't 
believe the lie. Reject that lie and don't get held back for years. For no matter where you are, no matter where you are in that process, you're still a learner. You can still go deeper. And that is a great place for you to be. Um, I have got a couple of challenges uh, for you so that uh, hopefully um, it can help guide you through um, taking some practical steps and some kind of reflection steps, I guess, so that um, you can develop your skills. Because growing in, in prayer and how to pray is not going to happen passively. You need to practice those skills in order to develop them. So the first one is all about balance. And I want you to commit to attending pre-service prayer and take it a step further by standing in different places each time. Pro tip, if you uh, get to pre-service prayer on time, then you get to choose the best spot to stand. That's a good way uh, to do it. Commit to pre-service prayer and standing with different people and keep going with our 50 days of prayer prayer blog. And if you haven't started with that, or if you've missed a few days and you kind of feel like, oh, like, oh, it's over. It's not over. Jump back in. And when we finish, if there's ones that you've missed, go back and do them. And if you think, do you know what, this has really helped me, whenever you finish, just go back to the start and do it again. And keep growing in public group prayer and in private individual prayer. It's good. Commit to having that balance. And the second challenge that I've got for you is about structure. And I want to encourage you to structure your prayers using Jesus' example. So something that you could do to help you with that is like get your journal and make three headings. And one can be praise and one can be petitions, like things you're going to ask for. And one can be why should God answer these prayers. And write down the things that you've been praising God for. And write down the things that you've been asking him for. And make sure that those things feed into what you've been praying, what you want God, what you want for him. And then write down, like, why should God answer these prayers? And as you track the things that you've been praying for and you see God answer, then that's going to give you even more reasons to praise him. And it's going to give you even more reasons uh, why he should answer your prayers. It's going to be good. So make those headings, write the stuff down, and track what you've been praying for so that you can grow in that. And I think if we're tracking our prayers and if we're seeing God answer him, which he will do, then our shared times are going to just blow up. It's going to be great. <laughs> 